0: this is alan seaborn from winning at home welcome to in progress a podcast about faith life and how we grow in this episode i want to kind of do a part three of the episode that started talking about new birth into a living hope and last episode where i shared about my journey through depression and into meditation. And this episode, I want to talk about something that I don't know, maybe at first, it's not going to feel like an immediate third part to that um, puzzle. I don't know, puzzle is not the right word, but something like that. And I want to share about a passage from Revelation chapter three. And I'm guessing that if you've been around church for a while, like me, you're going to have heard this passage before, and you're going to have heard it talked about in one way. Every time I've heard messages about this passage from Revelation chapter 3, I've heard the same thing talked about. And so I just want to read this. This is coming. This is the last of the seven churches that as John is exiled at the end of his life for preaching, for telling people about who Jesus is and what he wants to do in their lives, he is exiled to this island where he lives out the rest of his life. And as he's there, he experiences a revelation. And that's what the book is called. And it opens with... John writing down the words of Jesus spoken to seven different churches around Asia. And so this is something that um, people have read and people have talked about and compared to, okay, how does our local church community match up? Where are we on these seven churches? You know, are we focused so much on, something good that we're missing out on, something that we also should be doing. Those are the kind of ideas here that John is recording that Jesus spoke. And the seventh church is the church in Laodicea. And this is what John writes as Jesus speaks. Revelation chapter 3 Starting in verse 14, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth And do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. So you can become rich. And white clothes to wear. So you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes. So you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. And this passage is, like I said, something that I had heard talked about several times growing up in church. And it's the famous, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. And Jesus speaking to these churches, to this church in Laodicea, and saying that because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I don't want anything to do with this not hot nor cold situation. And I'm guessing that, like what I grew up hearing this passage talked about, you've probably heard the interpretation of this passage of saying we're supposed to be on fire for God. And we're supposed to be all in. We're supposed to be spending all of our time. That's what it means to be hot, right? We are just, we're fanatical we're emotionally driven we're really excited about what it means to follow God or cold means we're just saying hey I don't want anything to do with faith or God or church or any of that stuff and Jesus is saying I wish you were either in or out but because you're kind of saying that you're in saying that you're following me but you're kind of not really doing what you say um, I wish you'd just be out. And that's the way that I always heard that passage interpreted. And I've got to be honest, I really struggled with it because, um, you know, you've been listening, maybe this is the first episode you're listening to, maybe you've listened to a few others, and you can tell that I'm not a hugely expressive, excitable emotionally driven person you know as I sat and listened through the first couple episodes of the podcast I'm like man my like the way that I speak the pacing of it is kind of start and stop and it's kind of slow and it's all these things I'm like "Eh, I don't know I wonder if I can work on that so I started paying attention and I realized that that's the way I talk pretty much all the time in regular conversation, that's how I do things. I'm not, you know, a fast, excitable, you know, just go, 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 go kind of person. And I am I do things more slowly and deliberately and I try to be really intentional about how I talk about what I talk about. And when I was taught that this passage means you need to be on fire for God, what that always felt like is, okay, um, do I have to like totally change who I am? Do I have to totally change my personality in the way that I always thought that God wired me in order to actually follow him, to be hot I mean, does that look like I'm supposed to be, you know, as we're singing worship songs in church, I'm raising my hands and I'm crying. I'm doing all these things. That's not me. That's not going to happen. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I should say this or not, but I don't connect with the music in church. And I grew up, I can still remember the church that we grew up in. I had figured out their system. So we would usually sing a few songs, and then a pastor would come up and pray. And sometimes after that, we would greet each other and sit down. Sometimes after the prayer, we would go back into and sing another song or two. And I figured out that little system when I was, I don't know, 10, 12, somewhere in there. And I remember that as I could tell, the pastor was kind of wrapping up the prayer I would open my eyes and I would look up at the screen to see if they were putting up the next PowerPoint presentation for a song because I was hoping they wouldn't because I don't connect to the singing. That emotional piece of things, it's just not really me. And so I'm opening my eyes going, oh, I hope we're not going to sing another song, hope we're not going to sing another song. And this is not, you know, I don't know. It's no offense to people who connect to that. No offense to the people who are leading the worship. This is not me saying anything about all that. It's just not how I connect. And when I'm being taught that this passage means you need to be hot, you need to be all in, you need to be excited and on fire for what God is doing in the world, I thought it meant Alan, you are either insufficiently equipped emotionally to actually do this, or there's just kind of something wrong with the way that you think you're following after God because you're not doing it this quote-unquote hot way. And not too long ago, I came across a book. It's called, Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. It's by Randolph Richards and Brandon O'Brien. And what these two do is they take a look at how our cultural understanding, how the context that we grew up in, and how the way that, for most of us listening to this, uh, the American way of understanding life has interpret has kind of affected the way that we interpret scripture and so what they do is they take a handful of different passages and ideas in scripture and say okay here's kind of how we've traditionally understood this but maybe there's more to this passage and so This was the first time I had come across this idea of what was really going on here that Jesus was talking about in Revelation chapter 3. Because Laodicea, where this letter was written to, uh, it was nearby two other cities. One of those cities was Hierapolis, and the other was Colossae. And both of those cities were well-known for their freshwater springs. Or maybe not freshwater, I think there was salt in one, but were known for their springs. And the theory, it's hard to know because we can go to where Laodicea was located 2,000 years ago, but things are obviously different than they were then. A lot of things are in ruins. A lot of things have potentially the landscape has possibly changed. But the theory is that it may have even been possible to stand in Laodicea and to see Hierapolis, this city, on one side as you looked in one direction and to see Colossae as you looked in the other. Well, Hierapolis... Was well known for having hot springs. And this was kind of like, you know, if you can imagine uh, 2,000 years ago, people that figured out how to go enjoy a hot tub, sauna type of a situation. Because there's hot springs here and the water's 90, 95 degrees. And that's pretty crazy. People could look potentially from Laodicea and they could see these hot springs off in the distance now because there were some mineral deposits and different things there they also used um, that water and then some of the minerals that would be part of what was produced from this hot spring as kind of a medicinal purposes and um, so they can look this one direction and they see these hot springs that, you know, like I say, it kind of provides like a spa type of environment and a medical, in some way, type of environment. They can look the other direction to Colossae, and they can see famous for their cold water springs. And think of how amazing that would be in a time before uh, refrigeration was figured out in a time where, you know, I, I live in Holland, and so we have Lake Michigan right by us. And when it's 90, 95 degrees outside in Holland, which doesn't happen all that often, but you get a few days like that in the summer, it's unbelievably refreshing to go jump in that cool water of Lake Michigan. And so this place in Colossae, has developed a reputation as having these cold springs, this cool, refreshing water, where under the right circumstances, there's hardly any place that would be better to go. And this cool, refreshing water is, I mean, think about drinking that in an era before they had figured out refrigeration and ice makers in our kitchen all the time. And so what Jesus is saying here, he's not saying hot is good and cold is bad. He's saying you can either maybe look from Laodicea where you are and see these hot springs in Heropolis and see these cool springs in Colossae, If you can't see them, you definitely know this region is famous for having these two alternatives. And what Jesus is saying here is hot is good, cold is good. Both of these things serve purposes. Both of these have their function, and both of them are, are famous for different reasons. Because sometimes you really want to be in a hot spring, and sometimes you really want a cool, refreshing spring. And he's saying, but instead, you're neither one. You're in the middle. You're lukewarm. You're room temperature water. And I I know I was thinking about it while I was kind of thinking through this. I know that they say that room temperature water is supposedly better for you to drink because it, um, you know, your body doesn't have to work so hard to heat it up or cool it down to match with your body temperature. But drinking room temperature water is nasty. When you're warm, when you just mowed the lawn or you've just done some exercising or you've just whatever, you drink a cup of room temperature water and you're like, Ugh, I, I don't like that hot or cold. Jesus is looking at this situation in Laodicea and saying, you, you know the value of hot. You know the value of cold. But what they lived in is they were far enough from these two cities that if you tried to transport some water from Hierapolis, hot, hot water, or the cool water from Colossae, by the time you got to Laodicea, you were left with lukewarm water. It wasn't hot anymore. It wasn't cold anymore. It was just kind of there. And Jesus is saying, when it comes to following me, when it comes to being my church, um don't just be there and when i came across this idea i was like wow that's that's really freeing because i don't have to feel like if i'm not emotionally excited or over the top or engaged or whatever if i if i'm not manufacturing some emotion to make it seem like I'm hot, like I'm on fire, like, oh, I'm so excited about this. That's just not how I work. And to understand that what Jesus is talking about here is not that. It was really refreshing and really um, freeing and uplifting for me to know, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, God did wire me the way that I'm wired and he's not saying you have to totally change your personality and your wiring and your natural way of being if you want to be my child. And so he talks about this hot or cold. He talks about this lukewarm, spitting, them out of, spitting that water out of his mouth. But then he goes on, and this is the part of the passage that uh, I really think connects to what we talked about last episode with the idea of meditation. Because what Jesus says here in verse 17, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, Blind and naked. Now, I want to pause there for a second because I've talked in several of these episodes about the idea that what God wants to do in our lives is not catch us messing up so that he can punish us, it's to invite us into something bigger. And so I really believe that that still holds true even when Jesus is pointing out this stuff right here when he says you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. See, he's not saying you're messed up, 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 and I love it. He's making a strong point to help I believe, wake these people up in Laodicea. Because he goes on and he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. And what he's doing here is he's hitting at kind of the three things that the city of Laodicea saw as their identity. The first thing he says, I, I want to counsel you to buy gold refined in the fire from me so you can become rich. Now he's writing this to uh, what would have been a huge banking center in the region that they were in. Laodicea was the banking city in that area. And so they already are rich. But what Jesus is saying is where you've been finding your identity, your security, in your material wealth, um, that's, that doesn't make a difference. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. And he goes on and he hammers a couple other things that Laodicea would have said were already that. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. They were um, kind of a a wool-rich area. There were a lot of sheep and there was a lot of clothes that were produced in the region of Laodicea. And so he's saying, you need to come and get from me clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. Now, again, they're hearing this and they're going, well, we, we are rich. We have the banking set up and we do have a wide variety of clothes. And then he says, and to put salve on your eyes so you can see. I mentioned before that uh, coming from Heropolis, there were these mineral deposits in this area. Laodicea was really well known for uh, kind of its early development of what they would have been doing at that time as ophthalmology. There were salves put together from some of these minerals and chemicals and naturally occurring elements that you couldn't find in most other regions. And they had figured out how to use this. We don't know what it was. I don't know really anything about how this stuff would even potentially work. But they were known in that region for this salve that they had to put on eyes that had some kind of healing properties. And Jesus is saying, come to me to get salve to put on your eyes so you can see. And so what he does is he hits each of these three things here that they found as their, you know, for lack of a better idea, their true identity. Hey, we're known for banking and clothing and eye-related medicine. And Jesus says, you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. He hits all those things and says, no, 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 what, what you don't see is you think all these things are you, but that's not going to bring fulfillment. That's not the real thing. And like I said, this is tied in to what I shared about with meditation on the last episode because what I've found as I've been practicing this and as God invites me uh, to let go of some things to stop trying to protect things that I think are kind of my core identity, right? If we allow people to see our shortcomings um, then we can't really hold on to this understanding that we have about ourselves that we're self-sufficient or that we're whatever. You know, I, I think we can easily think that we're strong because we don't reveal our weaknesses or we think we're right because we won't say we're sorry and I think That if you start to practice meditation, if you start to listen to what God is saying to you, what you're going to find and what I've experienced and what a bunch of other people that I've talked to who have been practicing this kind of thing have experienced is that what God uses this, this time to show us is that where we thought we found our identity, um, the stuff that we thought was our core and, hey, if I lose this, I don't really know who I am. He invites us to let go of that stuff, to let go of the facade of perfection that we've spent a whole bunch of time uh, building, the unwillingness to apologize and say sorry and ask for forgiveness. And when we start to let go of this stuff that we thought was our identity, this passage in Revelation makes a whole bunch more sense because God is is speaking to these people who think they're rich, they've got clothes, and they've got their eye medication. He's saying, you're poor, you're naked, and you're blind. And this is not because he's trying to hammer them and say, you're, you're so messed up, I could never love you. It's because he's trying to say, the things that you've thought are your core self, your true identity, he's saying that that's not right. Your trust is misplaced, instead, Come to me for that stuff. And I had a conversation not too long ago with someone I was sharing about uh, in a one-on-one conversation, talking about how um, God used this time of meditation to get me uh, past holding on to needing to be in control, especially as it related to my health stuff, but then I was sharing a little bit of how it led me on this journey of confession, of seeking forgiveness, of letting go of some of these things that I was calling me. And this person I was talking to, he said, well, I kind of know the next thing that I need to do, but he said, I'm worried that if I let go of that, I don't know what's going to be left. I don't know who I am without that. And ever since we had that conversation, that idea keeps popping up in my head. And when I read through this passage in Revelation, that was where my mind went immediately, thinking back on what he and I had talked about, of how when God invites us into something new, It's usually going to involve sacrifice and surrender and letting go. And some of the things that we're probably going to be invited to let go of are things that we think are part of our identity, are part of what make us who we are. These are things that have been around in our lives so long that we've kind of built a whole bunch of other stuff around it. And we're terrified of saying, man, if I let that go, if I admit this, if I apologize for that, if I come clean about this thing that I've been maybe even actively telling people was never a part of my life, what's going to be left? And what Jesus speaks to this church, he's saying, The things that you think are you, they're really not. And I invite you to let go of that stuff and come to me for your identity, for your peace, for your security. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now, this ending here, Jesus saying, I'm standing at the door, I'm knocking. I'm asking for you to invite me in. What he's doing here, some of you might be more familiar. I grew up Uh, going to a Christian school. And so I learned this passage in the King James Version. And in that, Jesus says, if any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. And that's a good translation of what he's talking about here in Revelation chapter 3. Because there were different, you know, just how we do it still today, we have breakfast, lunch, dinner. And the word that Jesus uses here in this passage is supper, dinner. So in their culture, uh, breakfast was usually kind of just bread dipped in wine, sort of a to-go thing as you're walking out the door, you're heading out to work, and you're just getting Uh, You know, kind of what we know now, some carbs, some energy for the day as you go about your workday. Lunch usually was a meal that people packed in the morning. It was a picnic on the go. They didn't come back home. They were out and about doing their stuff for work. And dinner was all about relaxing and enjoying people. It was a drawn-out and social meal. This was at the end of the day. The work was done. And it was time to chill. And what Jesus says in this passage is I'm I'm at the door. I'm knocking. And if you invite me in, I want to come have dinner. I want to come chill. I want to come spend time with you. Because that's what dinner was he, he could have just said I want to come in and eat with you um, but what he says is I want to come in and not have an on-the-go breakfast lunch I want to come in and spend time I want to come in and you and I get to just hang out and be social and relax because the day is done And now it's time to just enjoy each other. And what Jesus is inviting the church of Laodicea 2,000 years ago and what he's inviting us today to is to let go of the stuff that we called us, that I called me, the things that we are just so closely tied to for our identity, for our value, for our security, stability, all these things. Jesus is saying, let go of that stuff and spend time with me. Like we talked about before, um, spending time with him is going to result in change. And what he says is, "I I want that time with you not so I can berate you, not so I can yell at you, not so I can say you're not this or that or the other, but instead so that when you spend that time with me, you can understand your true identity is as my child. Your true identity its not found in all the things that you found it in before. It's not, like you said to Laodicea, It's not your wealth or your clothing industry or your medical industry. And what I believe is that he'll say the same thing to us today. Your identity is not what you've built, this life that you've built for yourself. It's not the way that you, over the course of decades, have carefully constructed your public persona. The way that people see you, that's not your true self our true selves are who God speaks into our lives of who we are and of what he invites us into and that journey is gonna be a journey of letting go of all that false identity stuff that we've been carrying along and we've been cultivating for a long, long, long time. But at the end of the day, Jesus wants to come in and he wants to spend time. He wants to socialize and hang out and relax and be with us. And the reason that he wants to do that is because he wants to come in and bring change and bring hope and life and healing now it's going to take letting go it's going to take surrender it's going to take like i talked about before what feels like death but on the other side of it god is going to be at work in our lives and when we let go of this false identity the stuff that we think is us but it's it's really not when we let go We don't find emptiness and nothingness. We find fulfillment. What God invites us into is to be with him and find our identity in him.